You're listening to the Between You and Me podcast, brought to you by JesusWire.com, with your host, Jessica Morris. Hi, friends. Welcome back to a new episode of Between You and Me. My name is Jessica, and this is the podcast where we talk about the things that hurt, heal, and change us in the music industry. Now, normally we would talk about artists in the Christian music industry. I know it's niche, and it's weird, and it's funny, and we've had some great conversations. Today is a little bit different because we are stepping right out of that box, blowing it out of the water, and we are talking about metal music. I know, I clearly know nothing about metal music. I have never been cool and in no way have ever been hardcore. So this is a completely new experience for me, but I am so excited to share it with you. Now, before we get there and I tell you about today's guest, I do want to say a quick thank you to everyone who has reached out and said thank you and given me feedback about last week's episode with Remedy Drive's David Zuck. What an incredible episode. Looking back on it and editing it, I realize it's by far my favorite interview that I've ever done because David was so honest and so many of you guys have hopped on the friendship train. I can't believe I just said that. And honestly, any people in the metal community have literally just left or fast forwarded to Johnny Crowder, who we are having soon. So sorry, guys. But in any case, thank you guys for listening last week, for embracing it. I think in light of the fact that we lost the beautiful Rachel Held Evans. And when I say beautiful, I'm speaking about her spirit and her heart and her integrity and the way that she embraced people and sought grace and mercy and forgiveness and inclusion for everybody. And it's impacted so many of us. My conversation with David felt really meaningful because we actually went to the deep places and the dark places. And that's what Rachel did in her book, like with Searching for Sunday. So I want to say thank you to so many of you guys who reached out and said thank you and who followed the pod because you heard David's story and who followed Exodus Road. I'm so glad that we can talk about hard things and that there are artists who are willing to actually wrestle with the pain and nearly sort of like take off the covering and show you some of those wounds because they've been hard fought for and they're healed but man it's hard to earn that healing sometimes you shouldn't have to earn it but it takes time it takes time and energy and a tenacity to fight through and still go what do I believe who is the God that I know and how do I stand with the church so my hat off to David and to everyone who came along on that journey last week now this week's episode like I was saying we're talking metal music And we are talking to the one and only Johnny Crowder. You may or may not have heard of Johnny before. I don't know. It really depends on your awareness of metal music. But I can tell you that short of a month and a half ago, I had never heard of Johnny Crowder or his band Prison. I can tell you that we have a mutual friend in the mental health community who tagged him in something recently because his app, Cope Notes, has gone off. Lots of you guys will know that I am really passionate about mental health and mental illness and that I interned with a nonprofit a few years back. So anytime something in the mental health community comes up, I get excited. When you mix mental health with Florida, because I lived there for a while, I sort of think to myself, why do I not know about this or know this person? That's what happened when I found out about Johnny Crowder. Here is this 26-year-old guy who lives in Tampa, who has studied psychology 
and has created an app that is literally there to help people and give them tools and resources to help them with mental illness and to help with mental wellness. I looked into it and then I realized that Johnny Crowder is also the flippin' frontman of a new metal band. How does all that work in the one person? I don't know. And so when I reached out just to say, love your work, you think what you're doing is great, he came back to me and said, you have a podcast, let's talk. I love spirituality and music and mental health, all my favorite things. Well, they're all my favorite things too, so perfect. Today, we talk all things mental health and spirituality and music with Johnny Crowder. His story is really interesting because unlike so many of the guests that we've had in the past, he did not grow up in the church. Until a few years ago, Johnny Crowder was not a Christian. He hated God. He hated Christianity or what he thought that was. And so he actually tells us his experience becoming a Christian, for lack of a better term, and what that actually means in the metal community, because it's not a community that is notoriously religious in that way. They're more prone to burn Bibles on a stage than to sing about God. Johnny doesn't necessarily sing about God, but all his lyrics reflect his life journey. And that is where God comes in. Now, for our new friends, a reminder, you will get a short bio before we go into the conversation with Johnny. A heads up for all you guys, the content of our conversation today, as well as the audio that we'll be playing throughout from Prison's EP, may be distressing for some people. Johnny is really clear that he does not want to trigger anyone and he's very well aware and very well educated in that. So please don't think that he is going to be sharing any stories that could be triggering or details or facts that could be triggering today. But we are discussing mental illness, talking about sexual assault, and we do have songs included on this podcast that he has written about those things. Some of them do have references in them that do say things like rape me. You can see the song list in our bio notes below if you would like to cut those snippets out for yourself I will also put that time mark beside them so that you can check that out and see it for yourself but I think that what we have today is something really special it's something really unique and it's something that I'm here to learn about God in the metal music industry and God in mental health let's go Johnny Crowder is a force of nature, a musician, a singer-songwriter, a writer, a mental health advocate, an inspirational speaker, and, as he would say, a lover of recreational sneakers, something that puts him on the way up to join the preachers and sneakers elite of the world. But don't go thinking this is Stephen Furtick or Judah Smith, although Johnny's stage presence is enough to make you think he's been in the church his whole life. No, Johnny Crowder is out of the box, and that's the way he likes it. Living in Tampa, Florida, his metal music roots run deep, and his career trajectory was set from a very young age. Forming the Black Death Metal Band in reference to a sinking ship with friends in 2009 while he was still in high school, they dropped their EP Aimless in 2010 and were embraced by the metal community, featuring on underground blogs like Duckcore and Total Deathcore. The independent band became affiliated with peers like Obscura, Stick to Your Guns and Norma Jean. And investing in the band full-time after graduation, they went on the Summer Slaughter Tour and Vans Warp Tour in 2010. After touring with King Conga in 2012, the notoriety was apparent and in reference to a sinking ship was known for its extreme sound in the metal community. But its name was a little hard to get out. Renaming themselves Dark Sermon in 2012, they continued to live on the road and tour bands like Sirens and Sailors. Following the release of their single in Tongues and Hounds, they signed to E1 Music, 
and they dropped their album In Tongues in 2013. The album was also released throughout Europe through Nuclear Blast Records, and they continued touring. This included experiences on numerous metal cruises. Yes, that is a thing for you who didn't know. And they had their first headlining tour in 2013. Dark Sermon found themselves touring alongside bands like Cattle Decapitation and Suffocate. Their second album, The Oracle, combined old school thrash metal with their collaborative sound and singles like Rat King and The Eyeless Needles came with non-stop touring across the US and Canada. At the same time as being the lead singer of Dark Sermon, Johnny Crowder was completing his degree in psychology and battling his own demons. He was diagnosed with anxiety, depression and schizophrenia, among other things, during this time. And he explored various religions and belief systems from across the world. Adamant that he did not like Christianity, and it's fair to say that he never would have dreamed that he would have wanted to be on a Christian music podcast like he is today. But then he had an encounter with a church in Franklin, Tennessee, and after an intense experience during tour one night where he heard the voice of God, Johnny was a Christian. Or at least a follower of Jesus if you want to ignore the whole baggage that comes with religion. And it was somewhat weird. In fact, Johnny Crowder still loses followers daily because of it. In 2018, after it was announced that Dark Sermon were on hiatus, Johnny launched the new metal band Prison. Proudly independent, their sound erred on the mid-noughties new metal sounds of Slipknot, Korn and the Deftones, and they used their music to discuss topics like mental illness, sexual assault and religion. With a mission to create community and bring hope to people who are suffering, Prison has cultivated a unique presence in the metal scene, where compassionate and raw lyrics match with performances and energy like you have never before seen. Touring across the US with bands like Suicide Silence, they dropped their EP NGRI in 2017, peaking at 74 on the iTunes rock charts. Partnering extensive touring with his work as a mental health activist, in 2019 it is clear that Johnny Crowder is just at the beginning of something extraordinary. He launched the mental health support app Cope Notes a year ago and has sent and received more than 100,000 texts to date. This has given Johnny coverage everywhere from the Tampa Bay News to the mighty and straight edge worldwide because why not? Dropping the Coke Notes podcast two weeks ago, Johnny has also been cast in an upcoming TV series called Mental Health Unscripted, where he will bring his unique blend of lived experience, study, music and storytelling to change the way Americans view mental illness. Guys, get ready to be schooled on metal music, straight edge culture and Christianity from the perspective of someone who never grew up in the church. You need to hear this. This is Johnny Crowder. Let's start with a very basic but probably complicated question. Who is Johnny Crowder for people who have never met you before? Let's see. Who is Johnny Crowder? Johnny Crowder is a 26-year-old semi-professional human being. <laughs> oh, man. I want that qualification. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, am, I am well on my way to becoming a professional human. Um, I've been studying being a human for a long time. No. <laughs> I, I, I'm really weird. I'm a mix of a lot of different um, contradictions. I sing in a death metal band and I love Jesus and I have a face tattoo, but I hold the door open for old ladies. You know, I'm like, I'm like equal parts, everything. Nice. I feel like that sums up the best parts of Florida. Not that you would ever want to be identified by a state, but just having lived there. Can you tell me a little bit about when you fell in love with music just to start the journey? Oh man. I remember, so I will warn listeners and you that I have debilitating memory loss, but there are some things that I do remember pretty distinctly. And I remember 
these two distinct memories that stick out in my mind, one of which is, have you ever seen, like, on a sitcom or on, like, a Disney movie or something, someone, like, sitting, they're sort of laying on their stomach with their chin in their hands, and their feet are up, like, they're on the phone with their girlfriend or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that position is the position that I would listen to music in. So I had I had this, like, big, stupid stereo, those, like, big, bulky ones that people would carry around on their shoulders. Nice. And I would lay down in front of it, staring at the speakers, just listening to like alternative rock on the radio when I was seven. And I would just think, man, I got to do this. I got to figure out how to do this. And then I remember another pretty distinct memory of trying to rush and finish all of my homework so that I could play guitar. And I had like a bunch of guitar tabs all around and I would sort of I would do a very cursory job of completing my homework in order to push that to the side to pick up my guitar. Nice. So when did music become a professional career for you? Because you've toured oh, quite yeah. a bit and stuff, haven't you? Yes. I I played my first show 11, no, not 11, 10 years ago this year, and I was petrified. Oh, <laughs> Stage man. fright is very real when you are new to the game. And um, I started touring about two years after that. So I don't even know. It's so funny to hear someone say, like, when did it become your professional career? Because it feels so not like a career. You know? Let's be honest. It doesn't but, pay much at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, that's the only part. It's not that you don't work a lot. It's not that you don't sacrifice a lot. It's just that the pay doesn't make it feel like a, a yeah. real career. Totally. Um, so how did you go from, well, how did you get on tour for starters and go from dark sermon to prison? Um, let's see. I started touring. I remember one of the first tours that we ever did was, was a classic first tour. Um, well, we did like a three day weekender when I was in high school that was in like a truck. We borrowed a truck so that uh, I don't count that. Yeah. We just went out of state, but not, not too far. So I think my first real tour was about three weeks long and we just went up and down the East coast of the U S and it was the most poorly organized, like insanely orchestrated. It was like a comedy of errors. That was like three. I mean, we had to dig our van out of snow. Oh, no way. We, we like, we played in some basements that we couldn't fit our base cab into. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was as I remember one night we got paid sixty dollars as a as a whole band like as a whole <laughs> unit and I was just like, man, this is you know this is the dream. This is yeah. when I was like, yeah, hit the road and tour. And I just remember thinking like, it can't be like this forever. Like there have to be different echelons of this. Yeah. So when did you make the decision to go from dark sermon to prison? That was a really tough decision. That was in um, 2015, 2016. So I started prison in 2014, and it was a it was a very fun, creative sort of side internet project with a very good friend of mine that I've known for years. And it was just so that we would have another outlet because we were both in bands that were signed and touring, and it was nice to do. I mean, the stakes are pretty high in mm-hmm. that scenario you have like a label to report to so 
Um, we wanted to just make something fun where the stakes were lower and we could just be creative. And um, a few years after we started that and released some songs, our bands that were doing probably better than ever, just the members started to commit less and less. And um, really just, you know, we, we canceled some pretty big tours against my will and a few members quit and there wasn't really a lot of effort being put in. And in the meantime, we were writing this really fun, amazing music with prison. And I was like, man, I'm trying to make music. I don't want to sit around and rest on my laurels in a band that did okay. I'd rather be in a band that, well, at the time, a band that didn't even exist. I'd rather be in a band that doesn't even exist if it means I get to play music. Yeah. So what's the difference, if there is any difference, between Johnny and Dark Sermon and Johnny now in prison and the music that you now create? Oh, dude, you should. <laughs> I've had a lot of my friends come and see like Dark Sermon and then prison. They're like, you're a new person. <laughs> like, I think in Dark Sermon, I was, I put a lot of effort into maintaining someone that I used to be. So mm-hmm. I'd say in the first probably five years of Dark Sermon, it was very authentic for me. It was like a real, you know, visceral, this like dark, emotional, um, really unsettling live experience. And it was very true to what was going on inside of me. And then slowly, as I started to grow, Dark Sermon started feeling less and less authentic because I was growing, but I felt like I needed to maintain what I had built. And prison is like a totally new chapter. You know, before you couldn't catch me even smiling on stage or saying a city name. And in the new band, I'm wearing leggings and doing front kicks and stage diving into the crowd and like just having having more fun than I think you should even be allowed to have on stage. And that's what you need when you tour. You don't you don't the cool factor doesn't keep fuel in your tank. You need to enjoy what you're doing. I've been looking around And all I see is sanity Where did I go wrong? What is this secret that you keep? Why am I so weak? What is this sickness in my speech? I've been trying to look myself How does your faith now influence your art? Oh, man. I'd like to make it easy. (laughs) No, yesterday, it's so funny you would ask me this. Yesterday I saw someone shared, um, someone posted the status that was like, oh, man, can Dark Sermon come back together already and do a reunion tour? I miss them so much. And then the first comment was like, and then homeboy went Christian. And the next comment was like, lame. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's it's so funny to see how people, people on the outside, there's a lot of people who never bothered to ask or consult. They were like, oh, I guess Dark Sermon broke up because Johnny got baptized or something. It's like, (laughs) wow, your timeline is so mixed up. And then a lot of other people are like, well, I guess, I guess, um, prison is a Christian band 
And it's like, wow, it didn't bother to ask there either. So there's a lot of assumptions <laughs> flying around, but I think that the biggest difference is I feel that I view my position on stage as something much more for the people around me than for me. I think before it was important for me to have an outlet. And now when I get on stage and when I tour, I think of it like I think of our fans as like, I really do think of them as family. Like, I wonder if they feel heard. I wonder if they feel loved. I wonder if they like our merch or if it was easy enough for them to find our album on Spotify. So I think my whole attitude when it comes to songwriting um, or performing on stage has become very others focused. I think that's probably the most apparent difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I was totally expecting an answer that was, no, actually, you get like two different answers. One will be someone who's sitting there and being like, well, I pray about it. And then I do this sort of thing. Um, and then someone else is just like, well, it's just a natural part of my work. So I love that you just took it to like the stage and just talked about not performance, but relating to people. Cause I literally have never got that answer before. And I love it. Dude, the biggest difference, I think, <laughs> I think from the outside, I was under the impression that when someone became, you know, when someone becomes a Christian or so, and that those words even sound funny coming out of my mouth. Like the, I think the assumption is that all of a sudden you can tolerate other people more. Dude, can I just say that before I, before faith was a part of my life, I think I tolerated people. And now it's switched to me like loving them. Uh-huh. And I thought, I thought I loved them before. You know, I would see someone, um, I would see these two drunk people getting into a fight at a show and I would tolerate that and I would feel like I was loving them. And then ever since I started learning more about faith and growing in my faith, I was like, whoa, I didn't love those people all. I put up with them. And it's not like I got better at putting up with people. It's that I realized, wow, I love people who are different than me. Mm -hmm. It's such a huge switch. Yeah. What was your perception of God growing up? Like when did that change happen for you? Oh, let's see. I I had a very tumultuous relationship with God for almost my entire life. So I grew up in a family that attended a Catholic church, Mm -hmm. but I didn't see a lot of that evidenced in the behavior in the home. Um, And I remember there was this point when I was at that church where, and I was pretty unplugged mentally and emotionally from faith. It was sort of like minutia for me. And there was a moment where I found out that a choir director was fired and not welcomed back into the church because he was gay. And I decided that if a gay man is not welcome in a church because of what God says, then I'm not friends with God because he's not on people's, like he, he doesn't really love people basically is what I thought. I mean, that's fair. So I, I unplugged and I was like, and also that, that church was, it gave me a very skewed representation of God. Like they had, they had pretty staunch pronounced views on interracial marriages. Oh man. Um, I know it was like so very socially and, and it wasn't really that I was making a social stand. It was like me saying, well, if someone else can't come here, then neither can I. Yeah. And 
So it took a long time for me. Of course, I went through the um, God is real, but he's evil phase. And then I went through the God isn't real and we made him up phase. And then once I sort of ran out of fuel for both of those ideas, I started looking into um, Eastern philosophy and Taoism and Buddhism. And then eventually I found my way to Christianity and I was so annoyed because the last thing I want, I have a gigantic Buddha tattooed on my back. Oh, do you really? It is, it is the, is, it is the entirety of my back is one giant tattoo of the Buddha. And, and so you can imagine my frustration, um, when I get baptized, I'm like, you're kidding me. It was Jesus. <laughs> After all of my, I went, I circumnavigated the world looking for faith, Yeah, you know, and I didn't have to, I think, I think I did. It took that journey for me to realize that I had a total misunderstanding of who God was. Yeah. Some people have like a turning point or conversion story. Was your, like knowledge and understanding of God, was it gradual or was there a specific moment that you can nail it down to where you sort of just knew that you believed in God? Um, this is going to sound wacky. If there are people who listen to this, who are like, how about this? I'll give two versions of this story. <laughs> I'll give a version for people who are like super old school and traditional and aren't really like Holy spirity people. And then <laughs> you can fast forward through the real version. The classic traditional version is um, I went to a church because it was the only place that I could see a friend of mine who worked at a venue in Nashville. We were on an off day and um, the only way I could see her is if I went to her church because that's where she was working. And I was like, oh, fine. I haven't seen this person in a long time. So I went there and everyone was nice to me <laughs> and it blew my mind. I mean, I am covered in tattoos. I have a hoodie that says aborted and has all these upside down crosses and pentagrams all over it. And everyone's sweet as can be to me Phenomenal the the whole day. And it was, it was truly, it was the kindness that really made me question like, wait a second. I thought Christians were terrible and mean and they threw rocks at people. And you know, Mm -hmm. like I totally just that sort of supernatural kindness and acceptance. I was like, this is messing me up. And then I asked my friend if I was going to start reading the Bible, where should I start? And she said, basically just crack open the new Testament and, um, stop reading when you see Jesus say something that you disagree with. And I was like, ha, I am going to close this book in five seconds. <laughs> no question. And I actually, I knew so little about the Bible that I was like, <laughs> Where do I find a Bible? And then someone told me there was an app and I downloaded it. And I'm like, holy crap, I have the entire Bible on my phone. In your head. Oh, yeah. I remember I remember telling my sister, I was like, dude, did you know that you could download the Bible? And she's like, yes. <laughs> and I was like, how is there not copyright stuff? And she's like, who the heck would copyright the Bible? <laughs> like I had such a loose understanding of, of the entire concept. So that's the um, – that's the classic version. Basically I read some of the Bible after that and realized that I thought Jesus was saying things that the Pharisees were saying. Yeah. So I was reading all this stuff about 
it, it was blowing my mind because Jesus was like, actually, I'm almost as anti-religion as they come. Mm-hmm. I'm here to, to flip upside down what people are confusing and set the record straight about what's important. So that really did a lot for me. And then the real version is I had this crazy sort of supernatural experience way before I was ready for it. Um, I was outside of a show and I basically fell over and cried for like an hour. Wow. And it was this, you know, you hear about stuff like that happening and you're like, yeah, right. Or you're probably having a panic attack or whatever. And trust me, I have had panic attacks. (laughs) So I am no stranger to them. And it was, it was this, um, it was this overwhelming sense of feeling like spoken to for the first time ever. Like I literally heard God and talked to God. And basically the, that intervention was God saying, please don't, cause I'm a suicide survivor. And God was like, please don't kill yourself this year. Oh, it's going to be the hardest year of your life. And once you get through it, everything's going to change, but you need to stay alive this year. Yeah. And that moment that that happened that night, I slept in the same hotel room as someone who would abuse me for a year sexually. So it was like the craziest timing because God was like, if you can make it through this year, we're going to skate. And I just, I took that to heart and I, I did not try to make any attempts at my own life since that moment. If you believe in my evil, then you believe in good and do some mental math i was 21 or 22 so your whole life has dramatically changed in like the last four or five years oh yeah and it's funny because even after that happened i was still so anti-christianity i would look for god in anything else like any book any meditation place any you know if you want me to take a beat root extract vitamin or whatever i'll take that like i'm trying to i'm trying to find god anywhere but christianity so it still took me a while it's so resistant yeah so you're really avert about your faith now and that you talk about it um, and people people know what you believe and stuff you've possibly lost fans because of it according to what we saw on social media oh, the other yeah. day a hundred percent i have people unfollow me every day like That's... my follower count goes down now that's so weird. Yeah. But it's it's offset by by people messaging me saying, like, you know, I'm going to YWAM this year because of a conversation with you. Oh, or my like, gosh. You know, like crazy stuff that, you know, people 
looking into faith or trying to read the Bible or trying to go to a small group or a church or talking to someone or even like going to therapy or rehab. Like there's a lot of um, restoration that comes from it too. And I was so scared to talk about faith in the music scene because, you know, it's really frowned upon. Mm -hmm. And I realized um, for those who don't know me or what I look like, which is probably all of you, I have a cross tattooed on my face and I got that tattoo because I remember in small group one time I was thinking about how like I wanted to keep my mouth shut about going to church like I didn't want to share it with anybody in the music scene and um, I was really ashamed and we were reading through that moment in the gospel where Peter just like flat out pretends that he doesn't know Jesus like oh I never met the guy and he's like lying to this little girl. I and I was like, you know, we talk a lot about about all, all the physical pain that Jesus must have felt when he was enduring that that literal torture. But I think we totally skim over the fact that his best friend pretended that he didn't know him yeah. like that. That level of betrayal is unimaginable to me. Like like my best friend since elementary school zach if he was like oh i've never johnny who i don't know that i've met him like that would hurt me so deeply and i realized wow i do that every day on tour i pretend that i don't know my best friend and i'm like that's it i am getting a cross on my face so i have to own up and be a good friend wow i I love that you were just like what's what do i need to do and you're just like with getting his face tattoo. Like, yeah, let's do it. And it totally works. It makes so much sense. I love that. How did your bandmates react when you came to them and told them that you, I I don't like using the word Christian because it has so many negative connotations, but that you believed in God. That was, I don't think anyone was like, yay. I I think everyone was kind of like, oh crap. Like, what does this mean now? What is going to change? I think everyone everyone expects like, okay, I'm Christian now, so I'm I'm quitting heavy music and I'm I'm throwing away all my earthly possessions. I'm off to Nashville. And I'll, I'll never talk to any of you again. And it's I think people are most astounded by me staying. Like, no one has really asked me about faith. I think I think most most people are really hands off when it comes to faith. They are just not interested in talking about it. But I think what really sort of trips people up is when I, you know, I still go to a show and they're, you know, they're burning Bibles on stage and I'm like backstage hanging out with bands that I've toured with before. And they're like, you know, why the heck are you here? Shouldn't you be at church? And I'm like, no, you guys are my friends. And I think that that level of kindness is what brought me to faith in the first place is people loving me where I was. And I can't. I can't abandon my post, you know? For someone who has so little knowledge of the death metal community, is that, do I phrase it like that? Is that the correct community or am I in completely wrong sphere here? You, you could just say metal. That's, metal that's metal nice works for me, great. Um, so is faith or religion pretty rare in that or people speaking about it? Um, there's no shortage of people speaking about it, but it's all like anti you know, people, there's, we toured with a band recently with shirts that say, F your God on them. 
and yeah. and you know there's tons of people buying them aware you know it sells out every night like and it, it there's i think faith bashing is very popular mm-hmm. in metal so people and there are some christian bands that are like really preachy and um i think we're sort of that band that is just you know a regular like secular band but you know we touch on faith in our lyrics and we have one Christian member who is me, but the, I mean, the last thing I ever want to do is fall into some category that, that isn't necessary. I think categories are what go further in dividing communities that God is asking us to keep together. We're like, no, I'm going to make this subgenre. We're going to be, this type of band and we're not going to play with those type of bands. And it's like, give me a break. We're already one of the smallest music communities possible. Like below metal in size is like polka. (laughs) You know, we're like the second smallest subculture in music. And the idea of dividing that any further is just, it seems counterproductive to me. What I would give to wear your skin. straight edge because I know that a few years back in my research you definitely aligned with those sort of movements and areas did they come together for you when you sort of align yourself with them or did one come before the other um to me they're pretty unrelated okay cool please teach me yeah so when I I'll say this when I was younger and I had my big fm stereo and a Slipknot song would come on or a Korn song would come on, I would be like, what is this? Or like really old Linkin Park. You know, I mean, when you're eight years old and you hear Slipknot, you're like, my whole world is changing. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I didn't even know you could do this. And it's like opening up this whole new, really a whole new world of opportunity that you didn't really understand before. So I think new metal was really instrumental for me because it had so much less to do with how you looked and, you know, whether you fit the part. And it was like a counterculture within a subculture. Mm-hmm. And it felt like, you know, punk, I, I really aligned with for a while. And, but then it started feeling like punk was like sort of its own version of not punk. Like, well, your hair has to be like this and you have to wear these type of jackets and have to wear these type of band shirts. And I'm like, man, this feels like it has more rules than any other genre. And then when I started going to, when I started 
sort of looking into new metal, it was like, I mean, you go to a corn show and it's like people in their Chipotle uniforms and like, you know, nurses and teachers and mechanics and like, you know, black, white, gay, straight, tall, short, man, woman, like literally every type of person and everyone's there for the music. And I think that's what really drew me to new metal was there was this like, we know that a lot of people won't like this style, but we love it. And no matter who you are, we love you just for being here. It was that like crazy inclusiveness. And obviously that's not every band, but there were a lot of bands to me that really helped shape my view of music and who it's for. That's for everybody. So Straight Edge is, to me, was entirely separate because I had decided, um, I grew up in a home that had plenty of drugs and alcohol, plenty of abuse, and so I had decided when I was like six that I would never, ever drink or smoke or do any sort of drugs under any circumstance. I mean, I wouldn't even do steroids for a while. I didn't take Advil or anything like that. What a little legend. That's so cool. I know. And I just was like, I mean, when you see what addiction does, like, up close and personal, Mm. I think you can't unsee that. You can't be like, well, I'll I'll do cocaine responsibly, you know? And there, there are people who, I've had friends who have said that to me, like, yeah, I do coke, but I don't do it, like, a lot. And it's like, when you see the fallout of that in real time with people that you love, you, you don't, you don't think like, well, I'll be different. I'll just have a drink or two. It's like, Hey, it's not, you know, sometimes it's, it's better to learn from other people's mistakes and avoid something like that altogether. And then when I was 13, I found out that there was a sober movement within the hardcore punk community. And I was like, oh, I'll just hang out with you guys. So what does it mean for you now to live out those values and your faith in a touring environment uh, where where the environment isn't always, as much as it's home, maybe isn't always welcoming of those values and that faith and may ask things of you that you're not comfortable with. Does that make sense? Like, what does it look like to be a Christian in a metal band? That is a much better question, but I would (laughs) never, ever want to discriminate against a genre. So please go for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I think it looks a lot less dramatic. I mean, it's funny because I think people in metal have this idea of what a Christian looks like. And then people you know, Christians have this idea of what being in a metal band looks like. And it's, it's truly neither of those things. Like, I think that what it looks like for me is like praying and reading the Bible and listening to worship music while I stretch and, and just being like, I think the real fruit of it, I mean, it's not like I go around like laying hands on people and healing broken legs. And like, I think people view it as this like mission trip to a third world country. But in truth, it's, it's me spending an extra 10 minutes talking with someone outside of a venue, or it's me going on a walk with someone in between bands. Or I, I think that learning more about how much God has done for me makes me so much less entitled with my time. And it allows me to spend time with people who normally I'd be like, yeah, right. 
you can't, you won't catch me dead talking to this guy. And now I'm like, yeah, let's go on a walk and you can tell me whatever's on your mind. And I think the biggest difference is the way I spend my time is becoming more and more others focused, like I mentioned before. And that's not a testament to me being a super Christian, because I know that there are other people out there who, who will go lay hands and heal the broken knees and stuff like that. But my my whole approach has been, wow, if all of this has been done for me, my job, my position, my my position of influence, being able to be on a stage and have a microphone and kids get words that I wrote tattooed on their bodies. Like I have a responsibility and I think it just makes me a lot more aware of um, different ways I can break those stereotypes, help the metal community understand what faith looks like and help the faith community understand what metal looks like. I want to just completely bridge that gap and abolish the stigma that each group has for the other. Yeah. So good. Well, you're already doing it because you're teaching me stuff, so I appreciate it. I wanted to ask a little bit about mental health stuff um, because that's that's what I first, when I saw your name, it was through Cope Notes. Um, and anything mental health-wise, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell me how music has helped you through your life, particularly in light of mental health stuff that you've gone through and that you go through? Dude. I have, I literally have, I think everyone should do this. I have a playlist that is just called Calm Down. Oh my gosh, yes, yeah, so cool. <laughs> and, and it's not, you know, it's not sweet music. It's like metal, but it's so songs that I know from experience can calm me down when mm-hmm. I'm frustrated. So if I get stuck in traffic or I'm nervous, like I'm on my way to a big meeting or a pitch or something and I feel like I'm anxious... I'll put on these songs that I know help. And I think without music, I know that I wouldn't be on the planet doing this interview right now. Like music has kept me alive. And I think there's something about creating music that allows me to process. Like we, we wrote a song about sexual abuse. And before I wrote that song, I had not come to terms with what happened to me. I mean, anyone who has done any research into the fields of abuse or ever experienced it personally, you know that there's a fair amount of denial that comes along with it. And you think like, oh, that didn't happen to me, or they meant well, or, you know, you make a lot of excuses. And writing about it helped me process it. And in the same way, things that maybe I haven't written about, if I hear a song about it, or even a chord progression, that matches my mood. I don't think I've ever felt an emotion that there wasn't a song for. And if there isn't a song for it, then I write it. My body used to be a temple. Why do you think I'm sober? Why do you think I'm able to make a choice? You are super, super honest. 
to the point where I was looking at them and I was amazed because it did feel like your journal, but like the rawest parts of it. Um, But I also know that you're really conscious of not putting triggering content in things and making your music a safe place for people. Where is the line for you between honesty um, and keeping, I suppose, the details of those experiences to a point where they are still not harmful to people and actually build up people and and, um, help them to grow and find healing? Dude, I I don't even know if I'm on the right side of that line sometimes. (laughs) Like, in or I mean, in order to share, you got to share. I think the biggest issue that we have with talking about uh, mental health and abuse in our culture is that we have some people who are who are being so delicate that the point isn't being made, mm-hmm. and we have some people who are being so vulgar and crass that their point isn't being made. So part of it is when I write, I want to be really honest, but then sometimes I look at what I wrote and I'm like, wow, I need to do whatever I can to frame this song so that people understand my intention. Like, um, and it's, it's a huge challenge and we have to use things like social media. And, um, if we put out a music video, we have to use like the beginning of the video to warn people about the intention of the video to make sure that it's not misconstrued. And even still there, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who will misunderstand what we're doing, but it's speaking specifically to our subculture. And that's my goal to, to be a level of honest that people know it's not pandering and I'm not just making it up and I'm not doing it to get, you know, album sales or plays. But at the same time, I need to make sure that we frame, you know, our public selves in such a way that people will view what we're writing through the lens of who they know us to be. You know? Yeah, definitely. Can you tell me about Coke Notes and how that started? I was doing a little bit of research and I know that it comes from your own experiences, but you also have a degree in psychology. Is that right? Yes. I I wanted to not go to college and then just tour. And my parents were like, yeah, right. So, <laughs> Thanks for that. I had, I, I had a scholarship because I went to um, a magnet high school. So oh, nice. They were like, you are not going to waste a scholarship. You better go get a degree in something. And I was like, well, I know that I feel crazy all the time, so I'm going to go for psychology. Yeah, I think Cope Notes just sort of, it appeared out of extreme frustration with never finding a tool that really helped me with like my mental health maintenance. Um, and then just an understanding that, it wasn't my problem. It was a lot of other people had the same problem as me. Like the moment I realized that other people, like the sheer number of other people who feel anxiety and feel depression and struggle with, you know, putting negative thoughts to rest or struggle with high stress levels. Like once I started realizing how, how that's literally inherent in the human condition, I was like, oh, well, if it's bothering you guys too, I want to make something. (laughs) How do you come up with the messages and the notes that you send out? Because it it ranges from like things that really boost your ego, which I love, to nearly like health benefits of like avocados, which is also awesome. Mm. So how do you come up with that and go through the screening process? 
Um, I think people people's biggest misconception with Cope Notes is they're like, oh, you just text someone like smile every day, and then they smile, and that's it. I'm like, you have no freaking idea how much work <laughs> goes into these texts. So we we source content from literally anywhere and everywhere. I have I have a stack of books that if you saw them, it would it would ruin my cred as a wannabe rock star. Like I have a psychology textbook on my desk. Like, how dare I? That's the <laughs> least rock star thing in the world. I have all of these books about um coping and boundaries and stress management and um, financial stewardship and relationships. And so I'm always thumbing through these. I listen to way too many lectures and TED Talks, and I work very closely with a lot of mental health professionals. So I'm always taking notes, um, even from sermons that I hear or songs. And I have this big list of notes in my phone right now. The active list is like maybe 150 or 200 ideas. And then I'll sit down maybe once a week or so and start parsing through that list and helping these texts take shape. And I'm from the copywriting world. So all of my real jobs before Coke Notes were, you know, doing writing at um, ad agencies or marketing agencies. So I've been doing writing for a long time. So I'll take these little notes, these like bullet point, almost gibberish notes that I take from books and then help them take shape. And over the course of maybe four or five different rounds of edits, I will pass them along to a panel of mental health professionals. So there's like some HR and HIPAA compliance folks. There's um, licensed counselors and therapists. There's some research folks, some doctors and people on the clinical side. And they review these texts to make sure that, first of all, they're, they're actually scientifically accurate. Because the last thing I want to do is text someone a lie. And then they also check it for maybe cultural sensitivity and things that I might have missed. And um, they try to make sure that the text is going to have the intended effect. And then it's added to the bank. But even today, we, we review our texts a few times a month, our whole text bank, just to make sure that you know, nothing has changed in politics or culture or music that might change the way that text is read. So we we make every effort to keep our content up to date. That's awesome. I love that. How do you care for your own mental health while you you are literally doing this and trying to help other people with their mental health? Dude, <laughs> I think you just that felt like an attack. You're attacking. <laughs> self-help strategies and self-care strategies no you're you're so right like it's so funny because the whole point of cope notes is to equip people with these things and then sometimes i work so hard on them that i lose sight of what i should be doing oh yeah there are a few things that that i do to help number one obviously you got to listen to music like 24 7 any chance i get i'm listening to music um but Another thing that's really helped me lately is just being physically active. Like one thing that I really enjoy doing is I will run. So for backstory, those of you who don't know me, um, I don't come from money and I certainly don't have a whole mess of it at the moment because I quit my job almost a year ago to do co-votes. 
um, and haven't taken a paycheck yet. So that type of, you know, doing more work than I've ever done for no compensation really can have an effect on my Mm self-worth. So what I do, and this is just one trick, I have a ton, but one thing I do is I'll go, I'll go running in rich neighborhoods. Nice. (laughs) I do that a few times a week and I just run past all these beautiful homes and I just dream. Like I do my very best to make sure that I don't view my right now situation as a forever situation. And that's true for, for anything I do, whether it's, you know, finances or relationships, whatever it might be. I try to, I try to dream big and often. And I think that helps me be patient with the right now. This is a completely random question. I'm just super curious. Have you ever done any personality theories? And like, oh, like the quizzes? Yeah, like the quizzes. Have you ever done any of them? Like, I was, I was trying to figure out maybe what you were because I kept hearing like different things about knowledge and then dreaming and then goal oriented. And I was just like, I can't pigeonhole you, but I think that's actually a good thing because you're not meant to be pigeonholed. Bro, it's so funny that you would say that. So, my mom does this like, um, my mom does some corporate training and she does this like true colors personality test thing. And I've taken the test twice. She made me retake it because I showed up as equal parts all the time. She's like, that's not real. That's never happened. And I'm like, mom, I'm bipolar, baby. I'm balanced out. I'm like, sometimes I'm super hyped. Sometimes I'm really calm and introverted. And I think that, I mean, it's like I said in the beginning of our conversation, I literally am like a walking contradiction. Like I am equal parts, everything. So I love that you picked up on that. Like, I don't know what box you're in. I'm like, me neither. To every person in the back of the agent in Australia who wants to get prison down there we will come and I will also add that if you're listening to this and you're wondering about cope notes or if you can use it in other countries yes you can um it's true so, yeah so if you want to go to our website it's probably the easiest way and you can try it for free there and just the international component is something that's really important to me so if you live in a country outside of the U.S., know that from day one we were thinking about you guys and how to build that. So please try it. No obligation to pay or subscribe. Just try it and be built up for a week because I love you. Something I do towards the end of every interview is just literally like throw out some random questions. And it's the type of stuff that 
if someone like saw you on the street and maybe they followed you on social media, they may ask it. So it's sort of a bit random and doesn't really have a place. But we'll sort of see how it goes. I just like to see what answers I get. So I'm ready. yes. So one of all the artists and bands you've toured with, what has been your biggest pinch me moment? Like I can't believe this is happening. Maybe I don't know that this would count because it wasn't really a tour. It was a festival. Does that count? Or still should counts. I give a tour? Yeah, still counts. Okay, we played a festival. This was on my 18th birthday. I think it was on my 18th birthday. Maybe it was my 20th birthday. Either way, just go with it because it sounds great. Yeah, yeah. so it was on my birthday, and we played with Slipknot, which is like no. one of my favorite bands of my whole life. And But we played this festival, so it wasn't like you know Slipknot and us. It was like Slipknot and you know maybe – there were probably like 10 other bands. It was like a big lineup. It was in an amphitheater near my house and we didn't play the main stage. We played a side stage, but totally counts. there was this, and, and we played in front of at the time that was like by far the most people we had played in front of, even on the side stage and even playing early, we played at like three in the afternoon or four in the afternoon. And, um, I remember there was a moment where like even artists didn't get side stage for the main stage because it's Slipknot, like you just don't get that. And there was a moment where like we had already played and packed up merch and everything and we went over to the main stage and we're gonna watch Slipknot and my bassist gave me his pit like wristband and was like, happy birthday. Oh my gosh. And I walked down and I watched Slipknot by myself, (laughs) like. Uh, like in the pit surrounded by a bunch of strangers, but I wasn't with my band or my friends. I was like by myself standing like 20 feet away from one of the bands that inspired me to make any kind of music in the first place. And I remember thinking like, Oh no, what if someone comes down here is like, you're not supposed to be here. And I was like, Oh, I literally played this show. (laughs) Like they're not going to kick me out. And then I just had this like crazy moment of like, you know, holy crap, I'm actually supposed to be here. That's, so that was that was a really sweet birthday memory. That is awesome. I love that. And even someone who has no idea about metal knows that's a big deal. I love that. Yeah. Um, what are your top three albums? Any genre? Uh, man, I don't know how to do that. Um, uh, a handful probably... that come to mind. Yeah, that come to mind. I know there's this band called Meshuggah. And they have an album called Obzen, O-B-Z-E-N. And that's one of my favorite albums ever. They're one of my favorite bands. Um, Probably also, believe it or not, Linkin Park. Uh, Meteora is one of my favorite records. I really, really, I mean, when I heard that one, I was like, you know, I had like gel in my hair and I had that shell necklace that everybody had. Oh man, that era. It was like back in the day. And that really changed me. And uh, come on, let me think of a third one that I listen to a lot. Oh, there's this band called Balance and Composure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like softer rock kind of stuff. It's kind of indie stuff. And they have an album. I mean, I like all their albums, but they have an album called Separation. And I really, really, really love that album. It like makes my heart feel big. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Oh, I want to use that phrase now. It makes my heart feel big. I like that. 
So I, anytime I talk about my emotions, I'm very like elementary with it. I'm like, if you hang out with me, you'll hear me say like, I am frustrated. I feel sad. No, it's so it's like, it's uh, just how I learn to process my emotions is just saying them plainly. I mean, you actually say what they are, which is a great start. I just, right. I just love it because I, I normally just say it makes my heart really happy. So I was like, I can just add that to it and alternate. I love that. Oh yeah, it's so good. <laughs> um, okay, question that I ask everybody, and it may be easy or it may be hard. Totally your call. If you could go back t- ten years ago to when you were just starting to tour and to make music in front of people and be recognized, what would you say to yourself? Ooh. I would say don't try to sound like somebody else. Like everyone has their own voice and the more you try to sound like someone else, the less you will sound like yourself. And the whole point of singing is to sound like yourself. So I would just remind myself that the most iconic vocalists are the ones that maybe aren't that you know traditionally considered the most talented or the most liked but the most iconic ones are the ones who have that signature sound and only they sound like that so i would just encourage myself to to not compare and not try to chase other people's sound and other people's talent and just really hone and develop what johnny sounds like I'm a was that story. Johnny is such a great guy. He's so disarming. He's so honest. And I'm so grateful that he shared his story with us. So thank you, Johnny. And thank you for taking the time to listen, guys. If you would like to get in touch with Johnny on social media, he would be all over that. He is on there every single day, uploading pictures of sneakers, coconuts, things, and performance pictures. Just look up at Johnny X Crowder. You can also find coconuts online at coconuts. You will find details on how you can actually subscribe to Cope Notes and access the Cope Notes podcast in the story notes below. If you would like to get to EP NGRI, you can pick it up on iTunes now. You will find a link below to that as well. Now, if today's conversation brought up some emotion in you or you related to some of it, I hear you. I don't know if you guys heard it when I was responding back to Johnny. I was sort of like, something hit me in the gut. It was so heavy because the things that he was telling me were so honest and so raw. 
And even though my mental health experience has been different to his, just like yours was, there were parts that really resonated with me. So if you would like some help or would like to talk with someone and you don't have anyone in your immediate vicinity who you feel you can trust or feel safe to, or you really just feel like you need to talk to someone right now, please give a call to Lifeline. In America, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline on 1-800-273-825. And in Australia, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 you can also check out to write love in her arms they are at twaloha t-w-l-o-h-a.com they have a find help button on their top right of their website and they have a whole bunch of blogs you can send them an email you can even find phone numbers and support services in various countries and cities across the world reaching out and asking for help is something that i continue to do daily and taking care of my mental health is an ongoing journey and i would love for you guys to start that journey if you haven't already or even if you're still on it and today just brought something up in you and made you resonate and go wow I'm not alone or wow is someone else doing it reach out and ask for help you deserve it and people like Johnny show that you can still live a full fulfilling amazing incredible world-changing life with mental illness it doesn't change our value or our worth or our ability to do extraordinary things that is all for this week. Thank you guys for this episode, for being with me, for hanging in there. We are nearly at the end of season two and I have loved every minute of it. So thank you for taking your time today to explore the world of metal music with me. If you would like to get in contact with me, please do. I genuinely love to make friends. You can find us online at Between You Me Pod. You can also find us on the web at betweenyouandmepod.com. You'll find audio for all our past episodes as well as a bit more info about who I am and what we do on there. If you enjoyed what you heard today, I would love for you to go and subscribe. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher. If you really enjoyed it, would you please consider giving us a rating? We would love that. Thank you for being here with me and for believing in the power of telling stories. My name is Jessica Morris and I will see you next week. Between You and Me podcast. Stay connected by visiting www.betweenyouandmepod.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more Christian news, reviews, and interviews, get plugged in to JesusWire.com.